Well, good morning, everyone. I got uh, half of my voice back, so I'm, I'm pretty excited for today. <laughs> uh, why don't we start in a word of prayer? Let's, uh, let's pray and get into the book of James here. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that uh, you got us this far to the end of the book of James. We do pray, Lord, that you will bless it. Uh, help our hearts now to be convicted. Um, we know this passage, as it ends, uh, should really be what we remember from the book of James. So we pray you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you remember when you graduated high school or college or any accomplishment? You were happy, but you were also sad that it was over. It was time to grow up and get a job, right? Apply what you've learned. Well, today we're going to conclude our study in the book of James. I'm happy, but I'm sad it's over. However, may our year in this study not be in vain. May we apply what we learned. So before we tackle our final two verses in the book of James, I want us to review every lesson thus far. And this will help us set up the context for the ending and challenge us not to forget what we've learned. And we're going to see some connections to our conclusion uh, as we go through our lessons here. All right. If you remember, uh, the summary statement for the book of James is, obey the word and be wise in a world of war for wealth. We saw this throughout the letter. In chapter 1, we're called to be doers of the word, not merely hearers, who appear to be religious but are actually hypocrites. In chapter 2, we were rebuked of the foolishness of hating our neighbors and favoring those who hate God. A real faith, we learned, is one that puts God first and takes care of others in their need. In chapter 3, we were called to have this true wisdom in our speech and conduct. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we observed this world of war for wealth with all its greed and pride and how we should be friends of God by repenting of idolatry and humbling ourselves before our Lord. And so we are to be wise. And, and how do we be wise? We're wise by being patient in the trials and understanding that God has a good purpose with them. We know that he hears our cries when we're mistreated and, and we can rely on him to save us at his return. And so let's quickly look at each lesson uh, to remind us of, this, of these truths, all right? So we're going to go through each lesson here. Don't worry. Each lesson will be about 10 seconds each, all right? So lesson one, the introduction to the book of James. We read that first verse, and, and we learned about the author. Obviously, James, a bondservant of Christ. He doesn't introduce himself as the brother of Jesus. He could have. And then we learn about the audience, right? The 12 tribes and the dispersion. They are scattered and uh, they are being persecuted. Lesson two, we, we spoke about thinking wisely about trials. Um, and if you have your Bibles, you can go to James chapter 1 and follow me. And we learned there about having the right attitude in the trials, right? Consider it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And so we ought to um, have this joy in the trials, Lesson three, asking God for wisdom. It's so important uh, that our maturity, uh, our spiritual maturity grows that we ask God for wisdom. And we need to do this because we're not perfect and complete. But God has a condition there. He says, ask in faith. And so it's very important to uh, trust God and go to him in faith, believing that he will answer that prayer. And then we looked at the humble are exalted. 
And there we were talking about how uh, the rich, um, they will fade away, right, in the midst of their pursuits, while the humble, they are content because they shall glory in their high position. They know that um, they're truly blessed, as you see in the next lesson, the blessing of endurance. Who are the ones that are truly blessed? Is it the, the rich that have everything? No, it's the one that perseveres under trial and they're approved because God is going to give them the crown of life. That's eternal life, right? He promises that to those who love him. Then we looked at lesson six, speaking truthfully about sinful temptation, right? There were some that were saying, God is the one that is tempting us. But no, that's not true. James tells us how um, the process is. First, you have lust, right? You have these sinful uh, desires, um, pleasures that you want. Then you commit the sin, and then that leads to death. So lust, sin, and death. Lesson seven, stopping deception and starting devotion. There we learn how God is good. He is the good giver. He is not evil, right? If anything is good, it comes from God. And so uh, there they're reminded to um, trust the Lord in the trials once again. Lesson eight, reject the world and receive the word. Uh, there we see that we ought to say no to the flesh, but yes to God, and we listen to wisdom, so we're slow to anger, um, we're slow to speak, and we're quick to hear. Lesson nine, being doers of the word. Uh, there we, uh, we're reminded to stop faking it, right? Um, if you think you're religious, but you can't control the tongue, you're really not um, a, a faithful believer of God, because uh, a true believer is going to listen to wisdom and, and do what... Um, we're commanded to do. And so uh, being doers of the word is simply someone who follows God's commandments, right? Loving God, loving your neighbor. And then lesson 10, lastly in chapter 1, worthless religion or worthy relationship. Again, uh, concept, a theme throughout the book of James is that we ought to stop hypocrisy, right? Um, and so he says that we ought to be unstained from the world and we have to visit orphans and widows in their distress, caring for those in need. All right, so a lot of lessons here in chapter 1. How does it connect to our conclusion? I think this is going to be really important for us as we come to a close in the book of James. In chapter 1, we observe these connections. James, he wants us to think wisely about trials, truth, and how we treat others. And we're going to see in a little bit how that connects um, to the ending there. We know that there's everlasting benefits to a life lived wisely, he also wants us to observe the dangers of deception. Uh, we're going to see that later in our text as well, as there's some that are deceived or being led astray. And blessed doers of the word, um, if you're doing the word, if you're loving God, loving your neighbor, you are going to rebuke your brothers that are deceived in love. Chapter 1, it also mentioned visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And our conclusion will also be about caring for those in need. But this time, it's going to be brothers who are specifically in sin. All right, moving right along. Chapter 2, lesson 11. We talked about foolish favoritism right there. Very important that we are not partial. Remember, uh, there's a person that's rich and a person that's poor. And the spokesperson or maybe the deacon in the church treats the rich with more favor than he does the poor. They get the good seat. The poor gets the bad seat. James is saying, don't do that. All right? That is sin. Lesson 12, fulfilling the royal law. We mainly talked about loving your neighbor there. And he brought up a really interesting point about uh, breaking the law. Uh, you might be uh, the nicest guy, um, but it says there if you've 
um, do not commit murder, but you do commit adultery, right? And we can take that from the Sermon on the Mount as committing lust in your heart after a woman. Um, you've sinned, right? It doesn't matter which law you broke. Uh, you broke them all um, if you've sinned in one point. And so he reminds us there of, of just how uh, sinful we can be and how we're called to love our neighbor. And if you are, you're doing well. Lesson 13, uh, we talked about dead faith. Right? Faith without works is useless. Just picture a car without brakes, right? A car that doesn't have a good engine or transmission. You're not going anywhere. Same thing with faith. Um, if you say you are a believer, there should be evidence of your faith. There should be works. But that's not to say that you are justified by works, like you're going to be saved um, because of your works. It just shows that there's this uh, root and fruit, right? The fruit of your salvation is the works, but the root is obviously your faith. Then we looked at the living faith of Abraham. There we learned that Abraham was a man of faith because he trusted God in the trials, right? He was called to do um, uh, something really tough, right? Offered up his one and only son, uh, Isaac. And of course, God honored his faith. And then we have Rahab, who also was a woman of faith, a little different. Uh, we know her uh, in scripture, says so she's a prostitute or a harlot. But she was also a woman of faith because she trusted God in the trials. So here you have a patriarch, here you have a prostitute. God can use anybody. And of course, she obviously changed her ways um, and is in the lineage of Christ. So that's great. Uh, but there was evidence for um, her faith by her good works. All right, so how does this connect to our ending? Uh, three key points here. Uh, one way we love our family is by telling them the truth, right? So we love our neighbor when we correct them about their sin. In chapter 2, uh, it was about loving your neighbor, and so part of that is telling people the truth, right? Being honest with them. Another connection is that the people of a living faith care for others, right? Rahab took care of the spies. Um, and so do we care about our brothers who are falling away from the truth, right? We should. Uh, this chapter also showed us that faith without works is dead, but you can also say that faith without love is dead. And so we should love people when they need to be rebuked. And like I said, we're going to get there to the final two verses. Um, but just keep that in mind. All right. Well, that was pretty much halfway through the book of James. So we did a review and overview. And then lesson 17, we talked about steering the stumbling tongue. How we speak matters, right? It shows if you're really mature or not. James uh, had some people that wanted to be teachers, but they weren't controlling the tongue, right? They were probably gossiping and, and you know, making mean comments, um, talking bad about others. And, and so he says, time out. There's stricter judgment uh, for teachers, so be aware. And then he talks about just how the tongue is so... Uh, vicious. It's like this animal in us, right? It's, it's no man can tame the tongue. And we saw that in taming the inflamed and inconsistent tongue. Uh, and he talks again about hypocrisy. And, but this time specifically in our speech, right? We can bless God and, and curse men. And he's saying none of that. That shouldn't be so. And he gives us some illustrations. And then uh, we jump into earthly wisdom. Unbelievers display that they aren't wise because of their sinful hearts, right? They they act like they're wise and understanding. They think they know it all because they know, um, you know, the Torah or whatnot in, given the Jewish audience. But uh, even the demons uh, believe God is one, right? And so here we have people that think they're wise, but they have selfish ambition 
and they have bitter jealousy in their hearts, right? They're deceiving themselves. They're not really wise because their, their wisdom really is ultimately demonic, right? It's earthly, unspiritual. And then we jumped into heavenly wisdom. Believers are wise because of God sanctifying them and giving them the heart to want to serve others. There we learn that someone with real wisdom is someone who makes peace, right? Someone uh, who is pure, peaceable, uh, merciful, has good fruits, right? And so how does this connect to the conclusion? Well, we're going to see there a wise and understanding person which show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. This involves confronting others biblically, right? If you really are a wise person, you're going to see your brother in need when they're in sin. They're not going to have this selfish ambition and be like, I don't got to worry about that person. I'll worry about myself. No, they're going to say, I need to care for others. And so they'll be gentle in how they correct their brother. All right, chapter 4, almost there, guys. Uh, Lesson 21. The problems and pleasures of the proud. We saw there we need to realize who really is the problem, right? So many times we play the blame game and say it's because of this person, because of these external circumstances. It's not my fault. But guess what? It usually is your fault, right? Because of our sinful pleasures. And so we need to stop pointing the finger and start pointing it back to us. Um, Lesson 22, the positions of the proud. And there we learn how it's a scary position to be in when God is not on your side, right? God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. He is hostile to the proud. Um, A very scary thing to be uh, an enemy of God, right? A friend of the world and adulteresses. Lesson 23, so we see James here with the heart of the letter giving a plea to the proud. He, he doesn't, uh, we know God doesn't want us to live in our sin, and so he calls us to repentance, to turn to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. If we go to him, we submit to him, uh, we humble ourselves before the Lord, um, he is um, willing to forgive us. Lesson 24, again, talking about speech, speaking wisely about people. Who are we to judge hypocritically, right? We know who the judge is. It's not us. Um, And so there it was talking about judging others hypocritically. um, And then we learned that God is the judge, right? He is the lawgiver. He's able to save and to destroy. And so we need to make sure we are following him first before we start to try to um, judge our brothers hypocritically. And then lesson 25, speaking wisely about plans We need to stop acting like we're in control, right? We know that God is in control. We should say, if the Lord wills. If you remember, they had that businessmen who were acting like they were going to go to a city next year and do this profit, but they could die tomorrow. They had no, um, they had, they did not have God in mind. And so God there is convicting them that they, they should have him in mind. Remember, it wasn't wrong to do a business trip, right? A lot of us have to do that, um, you know, to provide for our families. But what was wrong was the mindset, the heart behind it. And so how does this connect to our conclusion? Well, in chapter 4, we saw where sinful pleasures, um, the reason for so many problems and issues is because of our sinful pleasures. And so there's going to be people that stray away from the truth. Why are they in such a mess? Because of their sinful pleasures, right? The same way James pleaded with the proud is the same way we should plead with our brothers who are in sin and straying from the truth. And then we also talked about uh, speaking against one another hypocritically. Well, what's the opposite of that? We humbly speak to our brothers for their good. 
I want you to look at Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Go to Matthew 7. This is our last Sermon of the Mount reference, by the way. If you guys have been keeping track, I don't know how many there's been, probably like 20. Um, And so there's a time when we need to speak out to our brothers. So look at Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. But we, may, we need to make sure we're not hypocrites. We need to make sure our heart's in the right place. Look at verse 1 to 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, there's a log in your own eye. And here's the key verse for us. You hypocrite, what do we do? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so I just want us to, you can go back to James, remind us that there is a time when we do take out the speck out of our brother's eye. Of course, we need to first examine ourselves, make sure we're not being hypocritical, um, but God does want us to tell our brothers about their sin. And we're going to get into that um, a little bit later. Let's continue here. Chapter 5, we made it. Thinking wisely about wealth. God will judge the unjust for their greed and mistreatment of others. Remember there? Uh, the, the outcry to the Lord. He hears uh, the cries of his people that are being afflicted. And he is going to judge those that afflicted them. Um, and so that money at the end of the day really was worthless. It was fleeting. Um, and, and so uh, we know that is a, a scary place to be in, once again, uh, where God is going to judge you for your mistreatment. Then we jumped into Lesson 27 with prescriptions and pictures of patience. Uh, there, uh, we are called to be patient even if we are mistreated, that we are to fix our eyes on Christ and knowing that he is returning soon. And he will make all things right, right? Justice will be served at that time. Many have suffered before us, right? Uh, he gives the example of Job. Uh, but we should remember that our suffering is not in vain, right? Their suffering was not in vain. Uh, it, it did something great for the kingdom of God, brought glory to God. Lesson 28, uh, prescriptions and pictures of praying. Uh, prayer is so important for the health of the church, especially in trials there. We had the example of Elijah and just how powerful uh, prayer is and what God did. Remember, three and a half years of no rain. That's amazing. And so God can restore even the weakest brother um, or, or even the brother who is, is pretty much going to die because they're, they're so sick. Uh, God can heal anyone. And then we make it to our conclusion, which we're going to talk about that today. So lastly, some connections here to the conclusion in chapter 5. Rather than complaining against one another, uh, we need to be caring for one another, right? There was uh, that temptation during the trials uh, to be impatient, right? To want to lash out on our brothers and, and start to play the blame game again. And he says, do not groan against one another. Do not speak against one another. Um, and so what should we be doing instead? Caring for others. We should be confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. And so we can be patient with those uh, that are in sin and, and we ought to warn them because um, we know Christ is coming soon. All right. We made it. We made it to our last two verses. So James chapter 
5, verses 19 to 20. Here we go. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In these verses, we observe an issue and an illustration of restoration. James tells us how the issue can be resolved. But the question is, are we willing? Are we willing to be part of the solution? We should know that there's this great benefit of helping a brother in need. So let's examine the issue first. The issue is that one brother in Christ is straying away from the truth. Have you ever uh, flirted with sin before? I want you to picture a, a match, right? You light it on fire, and you hold on to it as long as you can, and then, bah, it burns you, right? You scream, ah. Well, the person we observe in our text is not only flirting with this fire, he has fallen into the fire pit. He is on fire, and obviously, he needs help. Now, I'm not talking about stop, drop, and roll. This person has strayed from the truth. He is spiritually dying. He has been deceived. You remember uh, this theme throughout the book of James, the theme of deception. Uh, the word here uh, is do not be deceived or do not be led astray. The same thing that James said in chapter 1, verse 16, right? Do not be deceived. And so there we learned that they were blaming God for temptation when we know God is the good giver and never tempts anyone, Right? Uh, we saw um, another example of deception in the book of James. If you remember, uh, we have that person who thinks they're religious, but they're deceiving their own hearts, right? They're not controlling the tongue. What about the brother in sin uh, who isn't wise? They have this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their hearts. And then in chapter 4, we see that same brother praying with wrong motives. And, and now they're in big trouble. There is nothing worse than straying from the truth. Right In the truth, there is life. James 1.18 uh, told us that we were brought forth by the word of truth so that we can be a kind of first fruits of God's creatures. And so it's because of the truth that we're believers, but believers still need the truth daily. If we stray away from it, we will not be able to survive. And so have you ever been there? You try to justify your sin you say you know it's not that big of a deal god forgives where sin abounds grace abounds now i won't get into detail but i've been there in that dark place i've been on fire before you know you're doing wrong but you're continuing in your sin and you believe that lie that it will satisfy you but you're on fire and you need to be washed by the word of water as soon as possible so I want you to think about it. Um, a lot of people use this illustration. Uh, I'll use it too. What happens to a frog when you put them in cold water and then put the water to boil over time? The frog boils to death. They don't jump out. What happens? They got comfortable, but they didn't realize they were going to die. And so the straying sinner needs to be rescued from their comfort. But how? James continues. He says, and one turns him back. The dear brother needs another brother. This is a good reason James often says, my brethren, 
Right? He keeps says, my beloved brethren, my brethren, because he knows that he needs them. He, he needs the family of Christ. We need each other. And so the strained brother needs a praying brother, one who is willing to turn them back and pray for them. And so that should be our goal as a brother in Christ who sees another brother in sin. Now the assumption is, if you read uh, the last chapter here, that we will turn back those in need. Since we do care for others, right? We have a faith that works, and so my question for you, I know I've been talking a lot here, have you ever turned back someone or been turned back to the truth? Can anyone testify to that? You were on fire and someone gave you a nice, maybe it was your wife, I don't know. Anyone, uh, well, I, I know all of us have been in sin before, but anyone's been in one of those like really bad, you're not seeing it, kind of blind to it, and someone sheds the light to you? Uh-huh. I guess <clears throat> like being called an idolater. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, I used to idolize the Mets. Uh, I still have temptations about it. Um, but I needed to hear it, you know. You're putting the Mets before God. Anyone else have idolatry issues? Holidays? Maybe we put a... Uh, the presence over the presence, as Pastor Nathan has been talking about. All right. So I'll give you an example. My uh, first year of college, uh, a very tempting time, a dear brother of mine turned me back to the truth, right? And it was better than any gift someone could give me. I was restored and able to do much for the kingdom of God ever since, you know? And, and God, he can restore any brother in need, and, and he does that through other people in the church. And that's why the church is so important, right? We need each other. Uh, we need these accountability groups. We need to point out um, when our brothers are falling away from the truth. All right, our last verse here. And yes, we got a big quiz and then coming up, so be ready for that. Uh, our last verse. Look at verse 20 again. Here we have our final illustration and imperative. Uh, this is part two of the illustration in verses 14 to 16. If you remember from last week, we spoke about a weak brother who needed to be restored. But the difference from our text is that the brother reached out to the elders. Look at verse 14 there. If anyone among you, is anyone among you sick, then he must call for the elders, right? Summon the elders. Now the difference is here, um, in our illustration, the brother who needs restoration is the one being reached out to, right? You don't see here, let the brother who's straying from the truth, call or summon another brother. No, it's that the brother um, that loves him sees him in need, and he's going out and reaching out to him. All right? Um, and then we have here uh, this important command. Look at the last command. You may not see it there, uh, but in the Greek there, it says, let him know. Um, it, it says, remember this or know this. Uh, and so James, his last uh, command for us is so vital. He wants us to know the benefits of restoration. He wants us to know the blessing that there is when a brother is in need of restoration that they can be restored. Um, it's like the last thing you want to say to someone uh, on your deathbed. It's so important. This is what he thinks is so important. He, he thinks that we should care for one another and love them in their distress. And so he says, if you look at verse 20, he who turns a sinner from the era of his way. Again, the issue is that the person is straying from the truth. They are being deceived, and they need someone to correct them, to rebuke them. 
And so James, we know, he's been a good example of that throughout the book. He's been correcting his audience. But what about you? Are you someone that is willing to rebuke a brother who's sinning? Have you ever rebuked someone? We learn how to do it properly in Matthew 18, verse 15. So I want us to go there. This will be our last verse that we look at. Matthew 18, verse 15. If you remember last week, I brought up, uh, you know, Peter asking Jesus how many times should he forgive his brother. So we talked about forgiveness there. But what about confronting? What about rebuking? Look at verse 15 of chapter 18 of Matthew. We read how to do it properly here. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his faults in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So just like confession of sin was private, right? Confess your sins to one another. It doesn't mean go uh, in front of everyone and tell everyone what you did. But, you know, a dear brother in Christ um, uh, that is, you know, spiritual. So the same way is our restoration of our brother. When we're confronting, we go to them in private. But, of course, we know that the text continues. If they don't listen, then yes, then you bring it up to the church. Uh, but the assumption from James is that this person is going to turn back, right? Um, you're going to be able to show them their sin, and they're going to turn back. Um, and, and so that is really important. You know, when a person finally wakes up and realizes that they're on fire, they're going to thank you for that fresh water of rebuke. Think of David with Nathan, right? We get Psalm 51 because of it. Uh, he needed that rebuke, and he got it. Now, I, I like what Paul Tripp says about uh, confrontation, right? He gives us four steps in uh, instruments in Redeemer's hands. Uh, these are some uh, godly tips here, uh, four steps. Number one, he says, uh, when we're doing confrontation, number one is consideration. What does God want the person to see, right? Uh, if they're in sin, um, obviously God wants them to see their sin. So uh, we have this consideration. What does God want them to to see. Number two, confession. What does God want the person to admit and confess? And so he's promoting this interactive uh, dialogue when he's confronting. Number three, commitment. To what new ways of living is God calling this person? And number four, change. How should these new commitments be applied to daily living? But he doesn't say that that's the only way of confrontation, right? He writes, confrontation should always begin with interaction, but there will be times when you're called to minister to someone who is stubborn, rebellious, and proud. The person will not participate in the give and take of interactive confrontation, so he needs to hear God's will pronounced and exhorted to respond. So maybe you've dealt with someone like that before, right? You tell them to stop, but they don't listen to you. Um, sadly, these are the type of people who are not going to save their soul from death. We're going to see that in James chapter 5. They are not going to be restored. They are going to be destroyed by their sin. But James, again, going back, is a picture of restoration. Right? The person does listen. And what are the benefits to that? James gives us two. So look back at uh, James chapter 5, verse 20. These two benefits to repenting, essentially. Salvation and forgiveness. Let's look at salvation. The person, it says here, will save their soul from death. 
Now, some commentators argue this is talking about being born again, a, a non-believers being saved from their sin. But the context has just said that they were straying from the truth and that James is addressing believers. And so the better interpretation is that they're being restored. James wants us to know that sin leads to death, right? We, we saw that in chapter 1. And so if a brother continues in unrepentant sin, the logical conclusion is that they're, they're going to die, right? They're going to be judged for their sin. And so we know throughout Scripture, God has disciplined believers to death before. I'll just give you one example. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, Paul says, For this reason many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. That can be also translated dead. And so why? Why is it that there are people dying in the church in Corinth? Because, verse 27 states, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He continues, but a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so there's this self-examination. We know communion is very serious, and we're going to partake in it uh, later today. And we ought to examine ourselves. Are we living in unrepentant sin? Is there um, something we need to confess to another brother uh, that we have been um, partaking in, you know, whether it be gossip or just hatred? We need to confess those sins. And so God has every right to take our life if we are living a life of hypocrisy, a life of blasphemy, you know, a life of spiritual adultery. And so a believer, going back to James, who turns from their sin, they are restored because another brother pointed out their sin, right? They've been saved from death. And that's a beautiful illustration there. The second blessing is that there's forgiveness, right? If you look at the end there, it says, we'll cover a multitude of sins. Now, covering sin is a basic Old Testament idea. In the Old Testament, uh, covering was the word used to describe how God dealt with sin, right? He covers it or hides it right out of his sight uh, and our own sight. And so, uh, you know, some may think, oh, it's, it's like a sweeping a sin under the rug or under the carpet. No, 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 it's not that. It's about atonement. It's a putting off a sin out of sight by the provision of a sufficient sacrifice, right? Uh, Paul in Romans, I love this verse, says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so what's that sufficient sacrifice? It's Christ. It's his blood. We can have forgiveness through him. Uh, another example of, of covering over, Peter uses it as well in 1 Peter 4.8. Uh, he says, love covers a multitude of sin. Uh, and we know he says they're to love one another. And, and that's what the person who's rebuking another brother is doing, really loving on them and really wanting the best for them. And obviously he doesn't want them to be judged. He wants them to, uh, you know, be saved. One last verse here, Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression, uh, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There's that key word there, covered. Notice that covering and forgiveness go hand in hand. And so, beloved, how can we swim in a refreshing pool of water when our brother is burning alive? They need us to go to them and tell them that there's forgiveness in Christ the blessing they can have of being restored. And so no longer will they be on fire, nearing death. Instead, they will be restored, ready to bring God glory by doing good works for Him. And so I want to end with some final applications from the book of James. But any questions or comments here as we conclude?
I know it's one of those topics we don't like to talk about much, but we need to, right? Uh, it's not easy to confront, uh, but God calls us to do it. You know, he confronted Peter. He rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't so easy on him. Um, but he needed to hear that because he was thinking about, you know, things of man and not things of God. Um, and so it's so important. All right, so just some final applications from the book of James here. Uh, from chapter 1, may we strive to be clean from the world, cling to the word, control the tongue, and care for those in need. Chapter 2, our faith should be active in good works, loving our neighbor, and we should not participate in sinful actions like partiality, but rather we should uh, show mercy, right? Rather than not showing any mercy. Chapter 3, may we strive to be mature with our tongue and make peace by being selfless, pure, and gentle. Chapter 4, our heart should repent of every sin and be humble before the judge. Chapter 5, be patient, trust God, and love the brethren. And so we're done with the book of James, but the trials are not done. More will be coming our way. Let's make sure to obey the word and be wise in a world of war for wealth. Amen? Let's pray.